0: Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. In November 2019, the Progressive Magazine hosted an event entitled Conversations on a Progressive Future with Noam Chomsky and David Barsamian at Pima Community College's Horsenium Theater in Tucson. Today, we continue with part three of a multi-part series. Considered the founder of Modern Linguistics, Noam Chomsky joined the UA faculty in fall 2017, where he is a Laureate Professor in the Department of Linguistics in the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences. He is also the Agnes Noam's Hari Chair in the Agnes Noam's Hauri Program in Environment and Social Justice. Dr. Noam Chomsky, Professor Emeritus at MIT, has introduced the world to ideas that have excited, incited, and challenged millions. His groundbreaking work in linguistics and his fearless engagements in politics, culture, history, and philosophy have profoundly impacted generations of students, scholars, community activists, and members of the public across and within political and ideological divides. Investigative journalist David Barsamian hosts the nationally syndicated show Alternative Radio and has co-authored books with Noam Chomsky, Akbar Ahmad, Howard Zinn, Tariq Ali, Richard Wolfe, Arundhati Roy, and Edward Said. His latest books are with Noam Chomsky, Global Discontents, Rising Threats to Democracy, and Edward Said, Culture and Resistance. He lectures on world affairs, imperialism, capitalism, propaganda, the media, and global rebellions. Norman Stockwell is publisher of The Progressive. Since 1909, The Progressive has amplified voices of dissent and those underrepresented in the mainstream with a goal of championing grassroots progressive politics. In part three of this multi-part series, Noam Chomsky begins by discussing nuclear proliferation.
1: I should say that there's another existential threat which we all know about in the back of our minds, but again, no, almost no attention is being paid to it. We now have uh, 75 years of living under the threat of nuclear catastrophe. Right now, It's getting very serious, much worse than it's been bad enough in the past. Uh, It's almost a miracle that we've survived just looking at the record. Now it's escalating. The U.S. is dismantling all of the arms control treaties. Uh, The Bush administration, the second Bush administration, got rid of one of them, uh, the ABM Treaty, which is quite important because... uh, Anti-ballistic missile sounds defensive, but it's well understood that it's basically a first-strike weapon. It's not going to deter a first-strike attack. It could conceivably deter, uh, uh, limit a retaliatory strike. So that's gone. Uh, Trump just pulled out of the INF Treaty, the Reagan-Gorbachev Treaty, that that, uh, greatly improved the security Situation in Europe and the world by banning short-term missiles. And the Trump administration was planning for this. Immediately after pulling out of the treaty in early August, uh, they carried out a test of a missile which violates the treaty, meaning it was already in development and being planned. Uh, it happens to apparently use pretty much the same technology that the Russians have been complaining about in the IBM installations on their borders. This just was a saying to Putin, please develop weapons that can destroy us. Uh, and the uh, military industry is just celebrating, they're euphoric, getting all kind of fat contracts to develop uh, uh, hypersonic missiles, all sorts of, uh, uh, you know, uh, unimaginable, lethal weapons against which there's no defense. And they're also planning, if you read their uh, their you know uh, propaganda handouts, that they're planning to, looking forward to the chance to get contracts down the road to try to develop a defense against the weapons they're uh, creating today, which of course others will uh, f- carry out as other developments too. Uh, right now the Trump administration has indicated that it doesn't plan to sign the New Start Treaty if it's re-elected. That comes up in shortly after the election. Uh, the New Start's the last major treaty. That puts a limit, and it's been very effective. It's sharply reduced the number of uh, missiles and warheads that the United States and Russia have. It doesn't end the problem, but it reduces it. So they want to get rid of that and uh, opened the door to just uh, massive uh, overproduction of uh, missiles and warheads, which threatens survival, of course. Uh, right now, it looks as if p- John Bolton's last shot before he was kicked out of the administration was to uh, initiate a breaking of the Open Skies Treaty. Uh, that was initiated by Eisenhower, who recognized that If Russia and the United States have ways of uh, carrying out surveillance over the other's territory with joint participation, uh, they will be uh, much more safe. Each will be more safe because they'll know if the other is planning some aggressive act. That's been extremely effective. Looks like the Trump administration is going to throw it out, which again raises the threat enormously. a little while ago, uh, William Perry, former defense secretary, who's spent his whole life on nuclear issues, very serious sober guy, not given to exaggeration, uh, said that he was terrified at the rising threat of nuclear war, and he was doubly terrified because nobody was paying attention to it, aside from the arms control community. Actually, we can add something to that. We should be triply terrified by the rising threat, by the lack of attention, barely a word anywhere, and by the fact that it's being conducted by people who know exactly what they're doing. They understand perfectly well that they're sharply increasing the risk of destruction. That's an amazing phenomenon. It's also true of the environmental catastrophe. The people who are exacerbating it, uh, understand perfectly well what they're doing. Uh, ExxonMobil is the most famous case which be investigated. Uh, the ExxonMobil scientists in the 60s and the 70s were in the lead in uh, determining the nature of the threat and its seriousness and you know informing management of this terrible crisis that's coming from the use of oil. In 1988, James Hansen, who you all know, prominent geophysicist, uh, gave a famous speech in which he kind of warned the public about this danger. Uh, ExxonMobil management reacted to that by starting to fund uh, denialism, not outright denialism, because they don't want to be just refuted, but sowing doubt. Uh, just saying, well, we don't really know. We shouldn't uh, act too precipitously. Uh, maybe there's something about clouds that we haven't understood. Uh, that's pretty effective, because that's pretty hard to counter. They knew exactly what they were doing. Rex Tillerson, for example, who was CEO at the time, uh, the head of the, the big banks, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, Jamie Dimon, he knows as much as any of us do about the extremely grave threat of global warming. How are they reacting? Pouring funds into fossil fuel extraction. Uh, Take a look at uh, this morning's newspaper, New York Times, business pages. Uh, There's a discussion of uh, how uh, more oil is coming on the market, which may lead to an oil glut, which could be a problem because oil prices might go down and there won't be enough profits, you know. Uh, not a word about the fact that this is going to destroy the world. Okay, maybe a phrase here and there, you know. That goes on case after case. Uh, the people, our leaders in the economic, political domain, understand exactly what they're doing and race forward to do it even in a more extreme way. You have to ask yourself, what's in people's minds? You know, how, how do you deal with this? You understand exactly what you're doing. It's not a minor thing. It's going to destroy organized human society within a couple of decades. But let's race ahead.
0: You are listening to Conversations on a Progressive Future with Professor Noam Chomsky and investigative journalist David Barsamian on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson.
2: Let let me move on. You mentioned Gorbachev, who signed that uh, treaty with the INF Treaty with Reagan in 1987. He just told the BBC, actually, uh, in answer to the question, uh, how dangerous is the situation, he used the word colossal, colossal danger. And then he added, all nations should declare that nuclear weapons must be destroyed. This is to save ourselves and our planet.
1: Actually, he has uh, interesting counterparts in the United States. There was a couple of years ago a call for elimination of nuclear weapons by such noted doves as Henry Kissinger, uh, uh, George Shultz, Defense Secretary of State under uh, Reagan, uh, uh, Sam Nunn, the congressional uh, leading congressional uh, 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 expert on nuclear weapons, kind of didn't register. But people who have any familiarity with the record have to be really appalled. I mean, it's really worth taking some time off and looking at the record of the uh, nuclear age. There's been time after time where we came... Literally within minutes of nuclear war, which would be terminal war, uh, when human intervention uh, stopped an automated response. Uh, some of these are astonishing, uh, like uh, I don't know.
2: The Russian submarine commander.
1: Yeah, you know, there was one of the main ones was in at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1962, and you recall it was a very tense moment. Maybe historian Arthur Schlesinger called it the most dangerous moment in history, probably correctly. Uh, right at the peak of the crisis, uh, Kennedy had declared a quarantine around Cuba, preventing uh, Russian ships from approaching Cuba. Uh, there were Russian submarines in the neighborhood. The U.S. didn't know it at the time, but they had... Uh, Uh, Their torpedoes were nuclear-tipped. They had nuclear weapons uh, on the torpedoes. The submarines were uh, not designed for warm water. They were designed for the North Sea. Uh, The temperatures inside the submarine were getting to the point where it was barely livable. The seamen were passing out. Uh, They had lost any contact with... uh, the central authorities. There were depth charges from American destroyers falling around them. Uh, They assumed there's probably a war going on. Uh, One of the commanders, some of them thought, okay, maybe we should just, instead of just being, dying down here, we should at least die with dignity and send off our torpedoes. If they had done so, the reaction, uh, nuclear weapons hitting American, Uh, American, uh, the United States uh, would have led to retaliation and further retaliation it would all be over Uh, in one of the submarines the commander was ready to fire the missiles Uh, the protocol required that he get support from two junior officers one agreed the third, Vasily Archipov didn't agree Um, that's why we're alive Things like that have happened repeatedly, uh, and the idea that this can continue is just madness. Uh, you some people, uh, there's been debate among scientists uh, who explore, who are searching for uh, intelligent life in the universe and can't seem to find it. And uh, one of the theories, not. In, in jest, but it's not a joke, is that, yeah, there's intelligent life out there, but when they get anywhere near Earth and see the lunatics who are inhabiting it, <laughs> they don't want to come anywhere near us. <laughs>
2: it's a... Well, let me, let me ask you about uh, tactics, okay? Let's say I totally agree with you on the impending environmental catastrophe and how that is being generated by predatory corporate capitalism, etc. But then you find out that uh, I'm against gay marriage. Uh, I'm against reproductive rights. Uh, I'm uh, you know, I'm a misogynist. I'm a, a racist. Are you going to work with me toward a goal or are we or how do you negotiate that?
1: There's just no choice. I mean, we this this matter is so urgent uh, as is nuclear war that you have to make whatever alliances you can, okay? Actually, there was an interesting op- article in the New York Times a couple of days ago by a, uh, an uh, evangelical Christian uh, professor somewhere who was uh, uh, d- describing the kinds of tactics that she uses and she thinks ought to be used to try to bring the evangelical community to recognizing the importance of uh, doing something urgent about global warming. As you may know, about 80% of them support Trump. Uh, And her proposal was perfectly reasonable. She said, okay, we believe, we all believe that uh, the second coming is not very far off, maybe in our lifetimes, Uh, when Jesus returns to earth We want to demonstrate to him that we have taken care of God's creation. We haven't destroyed it. We've cared for it. It's in good shape. Uh, Let's approach evangelical Christians that way. Is that wrong? I think that's quite right. Uh, Whatever you can do has to be done. I mean, it's perfectly true, and many of our friends say, that uh, environmental destruction is simply inherent in the capitalist system of maximizing growth and profit and ignoring externalities. And there's a lot of truth to that. But it doesn't help. You take a look at the... Maybe we should work to eliminate this system. But you look at the time scale of making radical social changes in institutions and doing something about the urgent environmental crisis and the timescales just don't match. Uh, the latter has to dominate. Uh, overcoming the environmental crisis is going to be, have to be done within some form of existing institutions. It doesn't mean that on the side you shouldn't be trying to change them, uh, just as you should be dealing with misogyny, but this overwhelms everything. Uh, it just has to, uh, along with nuclear war, There are plenty of other problems. I should say, Uh, the problem of uh, resistance to uh, microbes could be a lethal problem in the not too distant future, and uh,
2: because of global warming,
1: partly that, but just because of their mutations. Uh, Say, meat production, uh, industrial meat production, uses uh, I don't know maybe half the antibiotics in the country. Now that leads to a very rapid uh, evolution of microbes that are resistant uh, to any form of uh, microbial control that we have uh, that's happening in hospitals, as you know. Uh, this is uh, uh, leading to development of possible plagues that we'll have no way of dealing with. I mean, there may be things coming from global warming, too. So one of the things that nobody knows anything about, but there's fears, is that uh, as the permafrost melts in the Arctic, vast northern regions, uh, first of all, it releases a huge amount of carbon, um, far beyond what's been released so far. Methane. Hmm? Methane. Methane, but also other just plain carbon. And uh, it... uh, The amount of carbon stored there is fantastic, Uh, but also nobody knows what's down there. Um, There may be uh, fossilized, there may be bacteria that have been preserved for, you know, eons, uh, for which there's no resistance. Could happen.
0: You are listening to Conversations on a Progressive Future with Professor Noam Chomsky and investigative journalist David Barsamian on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson.
2: Some were uh, startled by your position in terms of advocating for a small U.S. troop presence in northern Syria along the uh, Turkish border in the uh, so-called Rajaba area, that is to say the autonomous Kurdish state that had been established in that area. What was your thinking behind that? Because you're you're the... Uh, sine qua non, anti-imperialist, anti-interventionist?
1: Well, what was the... uh, I mean, you have to understand that life, human life, isn't an axiom system. Uh, We don't have absolute principles that apply in every situation. Human life is much more complicated than that. There are conflicting values. And you have to ask, in particular situations, what are the human consequences of the choices you're making? So let's take this one. Uh, There was a small U.S. contingent, actually a couple hundred soldiers, in the Kurdish areas, uh, which was a deterrent against a Turkish invasion. Uh, Turkey, you look at the background, uh, inside Turkey, the Turkish government is carrying out extremely harsh repression and massacres of its Kurdish population. This goes way back, incidentally. Uh, Turkey invaded Syria already, took over part of Syria, extended the repression there, ethnic cleansing, massacres, and so on. Turkey wants to move on to other areas of Kurdish-dominated areas. What's going to happen if they do? Well, we could speculate before. Now we can see it exactly what was predicted. Further ethnic cleansing, further massacres. That was being deterred by a small U.S. contingent, which had basically no other function except uh, backing up the the Kurdish war against ISIS. Uh, Trump likes to say that he defeated ISIS. Actually, it's the Kurds who defeated ISIS with some American support in the back. There were 11,000 Kurds, men and women killed in the fight uh, six Americans uh, the US was uh, spe- US special forces were backing up the fight and US air power was of course used but the fighting on the ground was the Kurds uh, uh, they're the ones who were who, uh, with a tweet in the morning uh, uh, t- t- Trump decided to just hand over to their bitter enemies uh, Turkey and uh, the Assad government. Uh, Fortunately for them, uh, Russia moved in. Uh, You're not supposed to say anything nice about Russia here, but in that region uh, they happen to be the moderating force that's leading to some kind of diplomatic settlement. Maybe we don't like it, but, uh, but it's a lot better than continuing this horrendous war, which is destroying Syria. And the Russians apparently have moved in to restrict the Turkish invasion. Uh, So maybe it won't be as as bad as could have been forecast, but it's already pretty bad. Uh, I don't see any problem with uh, having a deterrent U.S. force there at the time. I think uh, we should be careful not to turn our principles into... Kind of like a catechism that applies no matter what the circumstances. Uh, human life just doesn't allow that.
2: And this isn't the first time the U.S. has betrayed the Kurds.
1: Oh, God, no. It's practically a qualification for a president, uh, literally. Uh, it's hard to find. Back to Ford, in fact. It's 1975, Kissinger. every single one. Uh, mm-hmm. Often in awful ways. Uh, like Reagan, for example, when the uh, Saddam Hussein, who the U.S. was supporting at the time, uh, carried out uh, major massacres of Kurds in, uh, uh, in, uh, in northern Iraq, uh, chemical warfare attacks, uh, killing hundreds of thousands of people, and so on. Uh, the Re- Reagan tried to deflect the blame to Iran. Uh, when Congress was trying to react in some way, uh, Reagan actually vetoed their effort to react. Uh, this is then later when the U.S. decided to invade Iraq, uh, they used this massacre of the Kurds as a part of the basis for the invasion. Uh, how can we let a, how can we let somebody like that survive? Who was carried out the Halabja massacre with chemical weapons? Uh, the cynicism is unbelievable. Uh, take Clinton in the, ni- the 1990s was the uh, the Turkish repression of the Kurds inside Turkey has a very ugly history. Uh, the peak of the repression was in the 1990s. Uh, how did the US react, the Clinton administration? By sharply increasing military uh, the flow of military aid to the Turkish government that was carrying out the atrocities. As the atrocities rose, military aid rose, uh, 1997, the peak of the atrocities, Uh, Clinton sent more aid in that one year than all of U.S. military aid to Turkey from the beginning of the Cold War up to the onset of the counterinsurgency. Almost nobody knew about it here. Very little reporting. The news bureaus had, of course, offices in Ankara. Good journalists, they weren't reporting
2: the population we're told repeatedly is polarized. What do you think about uh, someone who has a media diet, not of the progressive magazine or listening to alternative radio or watching Democracy Now, but is exposed to Fox and Breitbart News and Infowars and Red State and Newsmax and all those other uh, very narrow points of view from the media perspective. How do you reach those
1: people? Well, it's a little bit like, first of all, when people talk about the country being polarized or the political system being polarized, it's a little misleading. Uh, the, uh, the Democrats, the roughly uh, liberal population, are pretty much centrist. Uh, the political party, the Democrats, is not very different from what moderate Republicans used to be. If you read the New York Times, you get a fair range of opinion from moderate center-left over to far-right. It's all there. Uh, but when you turn to Fox News or Breitbart or something, that's different. Then you're in a invented world way off to the right. Uh, so the polarization is it's not mutual. It's... Uh, one-directional, uh, but it does lead to a sharply divided population. How do you reach the people? Uh, the way this uh, evangelical uh, professor described it. You, people are basically, not by, you don't reach them by ridicule, or hatred, or anger, but by recognizing that somewhere down there there's a common humanity and you got to go find that, work from there.
0: We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to Conversations on a Progressive Future with Professor Noam Chomsky and investigative journalist David Barsamian on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. The event was a benefit for the Progressive magazine. This has been part three of a multi-part series. You can find this and all recent episodes of 30 Minutes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org. There you can also subscribe to the podcast and follow our social media links. Thank you for listening. I'm Amanda Schager.